This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Hello, church. Um, Man, it's going to be a good day. Everyone say amen to that. Amen, amen. I'm excited to preach today. I don't know if you noticed, but Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rhonda are not here this morning, and that's because Pastor Kevin is on his study break. So if you get the chance and you think of them this week, will you just lift him up in prayer? How many of us know when we go away for a week of intentionality to get things done, we kind of walk away with a bigger to-do list than what we went in with? Right? I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. So we're just praying that he gets um, a week to uh, dream and plan for uh, our year at RLC and that he gets to get a lot done. His last few study breaks have gotten canceled for various reasons, so we're excited that he actually made it out the door and he is where he needs to be this week um, and that Pastor Rhonda gets to work um, from there as well. So that's very exciting. But um, also, if you're a young adult in the room, where my young adults at? Yeah, we're super excited. Uh, we are back, and so don't forget to be here at this campus at 6.30 p.m. for dinner, and Pastor Trenton is going to lead us in an incredible study on Philippians, and so I'm super excited for that. And again, we have childcare. You can check out the app or website for all that information. But today, we are stepping into the final week of our four-week series called 1232. Everyone say 1232. Good. During this series, we've been taking time to really understand what it means to be relevant. And the truth that we need to embrace is that God is relevant to all people, generations, and circumstances. And God's word is relevant to every crisis, uh, question, and social issue. And in the first week of the series, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Trenton, they did this team teaching. And they really set us up with this foundational message. And they unpacked the ideas of what it means to live a relevant life. To understand the times, understand what to do in those times times, and then to walk it out. And in addition to that, you got the chance to learn why we chose to name our church Relevant Life. So if you didn't hear that first message, I really encourage you to go and listen to it because it's just foundational to who we are as a church in the city of Salem. And it's also a really fun message. And my husband and my father-in-law preached it. So, you know, shout out to them. And I love them both. So each week, though, since then, we've been looking at real life stories of how people in the Bible practically walked out living a relevant life to the culture that surrounded them. And the goal of this series was that we need to recognize our personal responsibility to live a relevant life, which is our responsibility to walk in a spirit-led life and like to understand the times and then be purposeful in walking that out. So anyone in here afraid of anything? Just put your hand up if you are. Just only a few of you. Okay, good. So the rest of you, you're all solid. You're not afraid of anything at all. That's good. Okay, well, how many of you have ever taken the time to truly answer the question, what am I afraid of? And I don't mean fear in the sense of like specific phobias like snakes or spiders or heights. Not that those aren't valid fears because your girl has those. Um, I'm talking about those emotional fears. The fears that hold you back from living out the life that God has created you for. Like fear of failure or fear of rejection, fear of change, fear of loneliness. But what about the fear of being irrelevant? You see, to be irrelevant means to no longer be connected or relevant to something. Meaning, if I am irrelevant, I am no longer important. And I'm no longer relating to what is happening right now. So in other words, I'm not good enough or I have nothing left to offer. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you fear irrelevance too. 
Maybe you feel purposeless. Maybe you feel like life's tedious and tiring and you're like spinning your wheels at the office trying to be useful. Maybe you feel like you aren't measuring up in your marriage. Or maybe you feel like your kids don't need you anymore. Maybe you fear that your words, your influence, your, your wisdom, they just don't matter much anymore. But you know what's great about this whole irrelevance thing is that we kind of don't really have to worry about it because Jesus makes us relevant. You see, Jesus is relevant at all times. And so because you and I, we might feel irrelevant, my feelings don't determine whether or not Jesus is relevant. So I've been given the opportunity to close out this series, and I'm super excited because today we're going to take a look at the story of Esther. And her story invites us to look at how we should engage culture, how to be relevant in a world that doesn't know Jesus. The story of Esther, it helps us navigate secular society with hope and courage. Literally, Esther served Christians in a post-Christian world. I mean, does that sound anything like what we need to be ready for today? You know, that's the book of Esther apart from all other books in the Bible. It's not only is it one of two books named after a woman, but where it really sets itself apart is that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. And unlike all the other books, this is the one book where you will never hear his name. And although he isn't mentioned, what you will discover is that his fingerprints are all over it. There's going to come moments where you're going to find yourself saying, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. Are you even there? And throughout the book of Esther, where God might seem like he's invisible, we are able to learn about God's providence. And providence is just this theological term that simply means God's faithful activity throughout history to provide for his creation and accomplish his will. You see, God oftentimes will be in the background controlling the foreground. And there will come moments in life where it seems like God uh, is not around, but you must trust in God's providence that he is in control. And this should be encouraging for you and I as we fully embrace whatever it is that 2022 has for us, that nothing surprises God. Nothing shocks God. God is not up in heaven worried about what you and I are worried about. Oh, the political climate. Oh, the economy. Man, I don't know when will COVID end. Nothing God, nothing surprises God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God is sovereign, and his sovereignty is all about what he wants to happen. Providence is all about how he makes it happen. And I believe that Esther is in the Bible because there will come moments in your faith journey where you cannot trace God. And, um, but, and those are the moments when you have to learn how to trust God. And it's from that trust that our fear of irrelevance becomes irrelevant. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Esther and you don't know this woman's story, let me tell you, this is a real Cinderella story. The story has it all. It's a real rags-to-riches saga, a Jewish orphan girl who actually gets promoted to being the queen of the Persian Empire, who saves the lives of an entire people group. Like, Anna and Elsa have nothing on Esther. And this woman, she's not just a fairy tale, she's actually a part of history. And honestly, in so many ways, as you start to study her life, and we, as we start to observe it, you're going you're gonna to discover that so much of her legacy leads us to Jesus. And so the title of my message today is From Rags to Relevant. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to Esther chapter 1, verse 1, you can also follow along the screen. We're just going to jump right in. Verse 1, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. 
At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were, were present. Now let me stop for a moment. Xerxes, if you haven't picked up yet, is a king, and it's his third year of reigning as king. He's the king of Persia, and it's important that you understand the timeline of history that we're in. This is around 483 BC, and what's taken place as we know is that the Jews, they have been conquered, and they have been exiled to live under the Babylonians, Syrians, and the Persian army and the kingdom. And this is where we start to read stories about like Daniel and the lion's den. They were under Darius. And, and you read about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they wouldn't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's graven image. And you also hear about Ezra uh, and Nehemiah. Those are two other books in the Bible. And they happened around the same time as Esther. Ezra was led out of the Persian Empire to go and start to rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah led a people group out of Persia to go and rebuild the walls. Now we're going to meet this character named Esther, and she has stayed back. She has not gone with some of the Jewish people that have left. So follow along with me, chapter 1, verse 4. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. And when these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. So King Xerxes, he's in charge, and he's leading the Persian Empire, a world-dominating power, like they are in charge of everything. And Xerxes is the most powerful man in the world, and he has a wife. She's the queen. Her name is Vashti. And the scripture says for 180 days, he displays um, all of his wealth. And as soon as the, to end those 180 days, he caps it off with a seven-day rager. And if you continue to read about it, it goes into all this detail. Like this party is real prestige and wealth, and, and they're drinking this wine in this open bar, and no one drank out of a goblet, a gold goblet that looked like the other person. So everyone had a custom uh, glass, essentially. And so now the, the scripture will tell us um, that it's the seventh day of the party, and Xerxes, his spirits are high on wine, and he calls for his wife, Vashti, to come into the party. Now, we learn through the Bible that Vashti is actually throwing her own party for her own friends. And so when he calls on her, he's like, hey, girl, get up here. I want to show you to all of my friends at my party. And what's her response? She's like, no, not doing that. And Xerxes gets mad. And what do guys do when they get mad? Like, they don't go talk to the girl about what they're mad about. They get all their friends together, and they talk to their friends about what they're mad about the girl for. So he gets all of his advisors together, and he's like, yo, this is a big deal. This girl, she won't come up here. What do you think I should do? And this man, he's drunk on wine. It's the seventh day of partying, and his advisors are like, whoa, this is a big problem. And he's like, well, what's the problem? And they said, well, this is not just a problem for you. This is a problem for us, because if, if Vashti can disobey you, this means that our wives can disobey us. And they said, we have an idea. Let's do this. Let's set a decree that Vashti can never come back into your presence again. But let's take it a step further. Let's make sure that every Persian wife must know that she has to obey her Persian husband. And my husband's over here like, amen, right? Like, just kidding. He's not like that. Um, but Xerxes is like, bet. And he banishes Vashti and he puts this rule in the land that every woman must obey their husband. And out of that, as we get into Esther chapter 2, what we find out is that these advisors, they come back with another plan. They say, let's not stop there, but let's throw the biggest beauty pageant that the world has ever seen, and let's go find you a brand new queen. And would you believe it, out of every woman living in that time period, they find a Jewish girl, and they don't know that she's Jewish. Her name is Esther, and she's an orphan. Both of her parents have died, and she's selected because of favor on her life. 
and she steps out of the lowest social class and she steps into this world-dominating superpower. In Esther chapter 3, we're introduced to Haman. And if this was a Disney movie, Haman would be like Jafar from Aladdin. Like, he's, he's the bad guy, okay? And we see that Haman quickly becomes the chief advisor and that he's over all the king's nobles. Um, and every day that he walks into the king's courts, everyone would bow down and they would give worship and honor towards Haman, except one man by the name of Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is Esther's cousin, and he's also the man who raised her when her parents had died. But the reason why Mordecai would not bow down is because Mordecai was a Jew and he only served one God. And because he would not worship Haman, Haman becomes angry at Mordecai. So angry that he actually says, I want to kill Mordecai. And not just kill Mordecai, he takes it a step further and he says, I want to kill every Jew living in the land. You know, it's always shocking when we have one bad experience with a person and then we judge an entire people group for that person's actions. You know, this is actually where racism births, births from, and this is actually where so many genocides historically have occurred, and that's exactly where this story goes. It leads to Haman plotting a genocide against the Jews. And so Haman, his, he presents his plan to Xerxes, and he, and he says, Xerxes, this, this is a people group living in your land, and they are disobeying you. They, they do not honor you. And they got their own practices, and, and Xerxes says, well, what do you think we should do? And Haman says, I think we should wipe them all out. And he actually creates a day, if you'll believe this, where a decree and an edict is set that on that day, anybody can attack and kill a Jewish person. And if they kill them, they will not be held accountable. And this is the edict that goes out. And when Mordecai hears about this, Esther chapter 4, the scripture says that he rips his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and he begins to mourn and he begins to fast. And although we do not hear Mordecai call out to God, God is certainly inferred because Jewish people, when they began to fast, they weren't just stopping eating. They were denying their flesh so they might be in tune with the presence of God. And so as he's fasting, Esther gets word and she sends someone out to get a report from Mordecai to figure out what's going on. And Mordecai explains everything that has happened and he even gives a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation so that it can be shown to Esther. And he gave, her instruct, and he gave instruction for Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for their people. So Esther receives this report, and this exchange, the exchange that happens next between Esther and Mordecai is so important, so stay with me. Esther chapter 4, verse 11, this is Esther's response to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But, for 30, but 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So here's Mordecai. He's saying the time is now. You must go to King Xerxes and you must plead our case. You must fight for the Jewish people. It is now time to, for you to reveal who you actually are. 
In fact, Esther, you were, you've been promoted to the palace for such a time as this. And here's what's fascinating about this part of scripture is that Esther has now been in a process for nine years. We know through the scriptures that she's been queen for five years. And in the five years that she's been queen, her real name is actually Hadassah and it's her Jewish name. And she's going by her Persian name, Esther. And for five years, she's hidden her true identity from King Xerxes, not just by her own desires, but on the counsel of Mordecai. And what does this tell me? It tells me that Mordecai was playing the long game with Xerxes. You see, too many Christians, we're only playing the short game. Too many Christians think that when they meet somebody, the first thing they have to tell them is how they're a Christian and that they believe in God and that they believe in the supernatural and they just want to share everything they've ever learned about God in the very first time they meet somebody. And what if, and we think that if we don't speak up, nobody will ever know that we're a Christian. And have you ever considered that people ought to know that you're a Christian, not by what you say, but rather by what you do? We get so eager to introduce people to Jesus that we don't actually take time to meet them. And if we care so much about someone's eternity, we also must show that we care about their reality. Before we actually reveal your title, you ought to let someone watch your testimony. So your whole life should be a sermon. Every bit of your actions should be evangelism, and your faith should stir up conversations around you. And here's Esther. She's been living in the king's palace now for five years, and Mordecai, he sends word, and he says, now is the time. Now you must let him know who you are. Listen to me, Esther. If you do not step up and if you do not speak up, rest assured, somebody else at some point will come and save us, but all of us in your father's household, and you included, will die. Don't think that just because you're up there in that palace, this, ain't thing, this thing ain't coming your way too. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you came from. You are in the palace for such a time as this. This whole thing was set up for this moment that you would rescue your people. Esther 4, verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Spoiler alert, Esther does actually go to the king, and Esther does save her people. So today, I want to give you three things that Esther teaches us about relevance. So number one, relevance is finding your purpose and walking it out. See, Esther was not raised to be a queen. You need to know where Esther came from. Esther was born in a Jewish home. She would have grown up learning the Torah. She would have known Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. She would have known the stories of her forefathers. She would have read about the great battles of David. She would have read about Moses parting the water. She grew up with a calling not to be a queen, but to be a child of God. And for the past five years, she's been in the palace. And don't get me wrong, the palace looks really great on the outside. The palace is safe, the palace is comfortable, the palace is luxurious, and it's awesome. And everything comes when you want it, and there are no challenges in the palace. The problem with the palace is the palace wasn't her calling. She was called to rescue her people, and the palace is simply a vehicle for her to walk out her purpose. So when Mordecai sends word back to Esther in chapter 4 saying, the time is now, you must go to King Xerxes and you must plead our case— You must fight for the Jewish people. Uh, You're in the palace for such a time as this. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are. Mordecai, he's calling Esther back to her purpose. He's reminding her that she was raised as a child of God. She was raised with a passion for, for God and for his people. And what Esther does is she recognizes that her purpose is not the palace. Her purpose is to rescue the people. And some of you, you've been on this earth for 40 years, and you've yet to define your purpose. We all have a purpose and we have to find it. You can't be relevant until you know what you were made for. 
I mean, think about it. The only reason you know how to use something is because you know what it was created for and what it was meant to do. The only reason I know to use a phone to make a phone call is because I know its intended use. And we function in the same way to be relevant. We all have a purpose and we have to find it. God put Esther in the situation she was in for such a time as this and God allowed the previous queen to be banished at just the right time knowing the Jews were in the situation they were in and he had to raise up someone to save them. Relevance comes from knowing who you are and what you were made to do and then doing it. God didn't make you irrelevant. Find out his purpose for you so that you can walk it out. Number two, relevance is embracing the fact that nothing is wasted. You know, one of the mistakes we make as believers is when we read the Bible, we think the Bible occurs in the same amount of speed that we read it in. But real life is not a Disney fairy tale, and real life is not an hour and 20 minutes with a great plot and some twists and turns and a climax and a resolution. That's not real life. Real life unfolds, and there's a process to to it, and it requires patience. And we know that in Esther chapter 1, that it was the third year of, of, of the king's reign. But in Esther chapter 2, look what happens. Verse 16, she was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. So from three years to seven years, being four years from Esther 1 to Esther chapter 2, verse 17, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So get this, it's been four years since Xerxes has gotten upset with Vashti, and it's been four years since they started the big beauty pageant. Not only has it been four years, but when Esther was brought into the harem to get under to be under the power and control and the leadership of Haggai, she had to take a full year of preparation before she ever even met Xerxes. We know through the scriptures that she's now been queen for five years when Mordecai comes to her saying, now is the time for you to rescue your people. So here we are. Esther has been preparing over the course of nine years for this moment. But we can take it a step further and go back to the very beginning of her life. Uh, but we... Yeah, since Esther was raised in a Jewish home and was taught those old stories, she grew up with a passion for God and for his people. I mean, God even made Esther so beautiful knowing that she would have to stand out amongst all the other women in order to become queen. Esther didn't even realize that God was using all of this to prepare her. Nothing God lets you go through is wasted. Go throughout the Bible. You will see this over and over and over again. Joseph saying to his brothers, you... um, You thought you were doing this, but actually God set me up. Before Joseph even got to the palace, he was thrown in the pit. He was thrown into prison. But God used everything Joseph went through to prepare him to walk out his purpose. David, before he ever even gets to the palace, he has to live in the cave. Why? Because David learned more about leadership in the cave than he did ever getting to the palace. God was preparing him to walk out his purpose. And we live in a time right now where most of us, we are avoiding pain and discomfort at all costs. Yet on the other side of your pain and discomfort is you walking out your purpose. God wastes no part of your story and he designed you on purpose for a purpose. And he can use everything you have been through and everything you are going through. And to fully live out a relevant life, We need to be present to each moment, to actively seek out and ask God what it is he's trying to show us. To be aware that God is always at work in our lives and to trust in every circumstance we go through that it's not wasted, but rather an opportunity to become more like Jesus. 
Don't be ashamed of what you've been through or what you are going through. Recognize that God will use it all for his glory. You can't be relevant unless you believe that what you've been through is relevant. In other words, God has allowed you to go through what you've gone through in order to make you who you are. Nothing is wasted. Lastly today, number three, relevance is pushing past what is uncomfortable. See, this story of Esther, if you don't get the context, it won't make make much sense because some of you are here and you might be thinking, well, how come Esther doesn't just go talk to her husband? Like that seems easy enough. But the reality is in that time period, and we read about it in Esther chapter four, that nobody was allowed to walk into the king's presence or his chambers without an invitation. And it had been 30 days since Xerxes had even called on Esther. So when Mordecai sends his request to Esther to go and ask the king for mercy, what he's really asking her to do, he's asking her to go and risk her life. And here's Esther, Esther saying, you have a purpose. You were supposed to just, you weren't supposed to, you weren't supposed to just go to the palace and look pretty. No, there's something deeper on the inside of you. You are a rescuer of God's people. And I love Esther because Esther says, all right, I want everyone to go on a three-day fast. And why was she fasting? She wasn't fasting to try to define her if she was passionate. See, she already knew what her purpose was. She always had the desire for God and she always had the desire for his people. She needed to, what she needed now was she needed the peace of God. How many of us know that the right thing to do is really the easy thing to do? Taking a stand, leaning into someone's life, those are all things that take effort. And how many opportunities have you missed out on because of fear? And how many conversations have you not had with someone because you were too lazy? And how many moments of growth or impact have you missed out on because you didn't push past what makes you uncomfortable? And for Esther, here she is. If my purpose is to rescue my people, then why am I so afraid? And some of you today, you know that feeling because you're in a situation right now and you're wondering to yourself, if this really is God speaking to me, shouldn't confidence be coming over me right now? And I wish I could tell you that has been my experience, but my experience has often been when I'm operating in faith, I don't experience confidence. I typically experience fear. But then my faith kicks in and says, you have not been given a spirit of fear. You're gonna choose to walk in faith. You see, because confidence says, I got this, while faith says, God's got this. And every time God speaks to you, the devil is gonna start shouting at you. You can't do it. It's too hard for you. It's too big for you. You will fall. You will fail. You are not enough. But the longer you walk with God, you start to learn, wait a minute, if the devil, if I know the devil is shouting, but the only reason the devil is shouting is maybe, just maybe, if I step out and do this, I'm a threat to the devil. And if I can just hear God's voice, I can push past what is uncomfortable. And so here's Esther. She's afraid to die. This mission, this opportunity, it was risky. And in chapter five of her story, she goes before the king and the king is pleased with her. She finds favor and invites the king and Haman to a banquet. And the king grants Esther her request. And because Esther pushed past what made her uncomfortable, when we get to chapter seven, she is able to reveal Haman's plan to the king and save the Jewish people from being killed. Opportunities from God are wrapped up in overwhelming fear. And the longer you walk with God, maturity is this. Oh, that makes me afraid. That must be an opportunity to walk in my purpose. On the other side of what makes you uncomfortable is the opportunity to be relevant. From rags to relevant, Esther, a Jewish orphan girl who rescued God's people. Esther knew her purpose and she walked it out. Do you know your purpose today, church? 
Because relevance comes from knowing who you are and what you were made to do and then actually doing it. Everything Esther went through was to prepare her to walk out her purpose. Are you embracing uh, what God has allowed you to go through um, in order to make you who you are? Because you can't be relevant unless you believe that what you've been through is relevant. And are you willing to push past what makes you uncomfortable in order to fulfill your purpose? Because on the other side of your discomfort is the opportunity to be relevant. The way that you live your life, it ought to be attractive. It ought to be light of the world in the midst of darkness. People are not turned off by God. They don't trust us. So let's be a people here in Salem that actually show genuine interest in people. Let's actually build trust with people. Let's actually serve people. Let's actually be curious about people. Make them want what you have. You ought to be living your life in such a way that people take notice. Man, something different about Frank. Something different about Corey. That's relevance. Church, and I know we can do this, and you don't need an RLC-sponsored event to make it happen. I know that all of you, myself included, are here for such a time as this. God made us relevant to meet the needs of those around us right now, right here in 2022. Live life from your purpose, embrace what you've been through, and push past what makes you uncomfortable. And from that, a relevant life will automatically come out of you because you have Jesus inside of you. And so I just want to pray for you. And we are done so early, um, but that is fine because that is the message God gave me and I'm not going to make it go longer than it needs to. All right. And everyone said, amen. Uh, I'm going to pray for you right now though. God, I thank you so much for who you are and for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, I thank you just for the message that you give for your people, God. I thank you for putting us in Salem, Oregon right now in this moment, God. I pray over each person online and in the room who is willing to say, no, I know that you created me for this moment, God. I know that I am relevant to my situation right now, God. Will you help me push past what makes me uncomfortable? Will you help me push past my fear? Will you help me walk in faith and not in fear, God? Will you give me the confidence I need to push forward, God? Will we be a people that are willing to just talk to others and, and not even mention the name of Jesus, but just live our lives like we're in love with Jesus? God, we'll be willing to be relevant for you. We'll be willing to step aside our own, um, our own insecurities, our own convenience, God. And we'll be willing to be inconvenienced for the kingdom, God. Would we be willing to care so much about someone's eternity that we care about their reality, God? And so I pray for each person in this room, God, that they, they would be moved by your word, God, that they would be moved by the story of Esther, God, that it, the story of Esther would lead us to Jesus, to be like Jesus, God. And I pray for each person in this room. I pray for, for, for health and I pray um, for safety as we go forward, God. And I pray that you would give them opportunities to be relevant every single day this week and in the weeks to come. God, I thank you for your people and I thank you for putting us here for such a time as this. And everyone said, amen. Amen, church. I love you all. Have a great week. The prayer team is up here if you need prayer and we'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.